Okay, well, welcome to In the World, the podcast of North Cincy Student Ministries. We are going to be continuing our series in the book of James by looking at James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26, at a faith that works. So let's begin by reading James 2, verses 14 through 26, and then I will pray for us, and then we will dive into the devotional. So let's read together. James says this, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith apart from works is dead. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this word to us from James chapter 2. Thank you for the convicting words that faith without works is dead. You yourself, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Father, may your spirit ignite in us a heart to love you and to love others. May it not produce a faith that is apathetic and counterfeit, but a faith that is authentic and lived out. A faith that is not defined by perfection, but a faith that is defined by direction and repentance and a constantly looking and longing to serve you with all that we have. And if we fail, we have humility to come back to your throne of grace and trust more fully in the work of Christ, and therefore be even greater equipped to live for you and all that we do. We pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. A faith works. It really does. If we have faith in God, that faith will be followed by action. 
Authentic faith is not an apathetic faith, but authentic faith is an active faith. I want you to imagine with me that I was trying to convince you that I played shortstop for the Cincinnati Reds. I would tell you about the Reds and the history of the Reds. I could name all of the teammates and the people that I played with. I could even have a jersey. I went to the store and bought a jersey and had my name put on it with my number. And that I was somebody who said, yeah, I've, I've been playing shortstop and I'm really good and I'm on the team and, and I'm really excited about this year. And even though we didn't sign all the players that I was hoping to sign, we got a great team and we got some good pitching. We got some, some players that are still going to prove themselves. And I just kept talking on and on and on about the Reds and how I played on the Reds. And then you were like, wow, pretty cool. You know, you go back to your friends and you say, I met the shortstop, the new shortstop for the Reds. And he seems like a really good guy. He's really excited about the year. And I, I think the Reds would be really good this year. And then you go and once opening day starts and you turn on the TV or you go to the game to watch and see me, who the, the, the new shortstop that you just met. And, and I'm not playing shortstop. And you're like, that's weird. I thought the guy that I met that said he played shortstop for the Reds, and but he's not out there. And then you get on your phone and you open up your computer and you type in Cincinnati Reds roster and you look on the 25-man roster and I'm not on there. And you say, well, maybe he's injured. So you look at the injured list and I'm not on there either. And like, well, maybe he got demoted to AAA and I'm not there either. You would, you would begin to wonder, does what I was saying match up with what I was doing? You would say, this guy told me one thing, but he is actually not that thing. He is something else. His confession didn't match up with his character, so to speak. Who he said he was doesn't match up with what I see or the witness or 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 what I see um, on the baseball field, right? I, I'm 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 going at lengths to kind of describe a really silly thing that a lot of us do when it comes to faith. We talk about Jesus, about how we know Him, about how we love Him. We may even have intellectual knowledge of who God is and what his word says. And we could talk all day about what it means to be on the team. But when we begin and people begin to look at our lives, they don't see somebody who actually follows God. They see somebody who is following something else. They see somebody who claims they're on the team but lives like they're not. And what James is doing here for us, he is, he is confronting us. He is saying to us, if we say we're on the team, that we must live like we're on the team. He is saying that if we are shortstop for the Reds, that we will play shortstop for the Reds. He is saying that if we have faith in God, it will change us. That faith is more than just an apathetic or an intellectual assent. That it affects how we live our lives. It affects our joy. It affects how we treat other people. That faith without works is dead. That true faith works. Works don't save us. But if we are saved, we will work out our salvation with fear and trembling, as it says in the New Testament. God is committed not just to our salvation. He is not just committed to us believing in him. 
but he's also committed to us to living out our faith in all that we do with all that we are. One commentator says this that I thought was really uh, good. Uh, and in, in his introduction to this passage, he says this, a politician waxes lyrical about the high standards of the local schools in his area, but enrolls his own children in the expensive private college down the street. A McDonald's executive claims his company offers the best family food, but then is found taking his family out for a meal at Burger King. A husband insists he cherishes his wife and yet maintains a secret long-standing relationship with another woman. In each of these examples, there is a difference between what is claimed and what is done. The actions do not match the words. It is the behavior of these people that shows what they really think more than what they say. Our claims are not always an accurate reflection of what we really think and believe, but our deeds are. We do not always live what we say we believe, but we will always believe what we live out. If you want to know who a person truly is, you look at what they do, not just what they say. If you want to know who plays for the Reds, you don't just look at what people say, but you look at who's on the team, on the field, actually playing, actually doing. That same author says this short but great uh, uh, reflection based upon all this. Faith is easily claimed, but James says it may not be genuine Christian faith. Faith is lived out. And when we look at this passage, there we see that, that James is encouraging us, is reminding us that a faith works. That if we have faith in God, it, it is not a faith of perfection, right? That's not what I'm saying is that you are this morally perfect person that never fails. That is actually not true faith. Um, all of us will fail God, will fail others, right? That's not what he's saying here. It's not a life of perfection. It's a life of direction. True faith works. If we say we love God, then we will seek to live for God. And when we fail to do that, we have a humility and a heart made of flesh, not of stone, that seeks to repent and trust and live for God more and more. So as we look at this, uh, we see that faith works. And in verses 14 through 19, James gives us examples of counterfeit faiths. Faiths that, that seem real, but they aren't. They're counterfeit. Much like, you know, uh, if you were to make a, a counterfeit $20 bill, you could copy it in a copy machine. And on paper, it may look like a $20 bill. But if you hold it up to light, it doesn't have those special markings, so therefore it is counterfeit. So James was warning us about being a counterfeit bill and having a counterfeit faith. And there are two types of, um, we'll say, examples that he talks about. And this is somebody else's language, not my own. But the armchair philanthropist, right? The person who says that they believe, but they don't do anything, right? They just they sit in their armchair. They're nice and comfortable. They they say, yeah, I've got faith. Faith, I, I love God and He's done the good, but there's just there's no movement. There's no there's no there's no living out the faith. It's just an armchair philanthropist. And the second one is is what this person calls the doctrinally orthodox demon, 
Like that that phrase that the demons believe and they shudder should really should really make us shudder. What does this mean that the demons believe? And what separates me from the demons? So that's what verses 14 through 19 are about. And then verses 20 through 26 are examples of authentic faith that are given through the faith of Abraham, who by no means was perfect. You can read the narrative of Abraham. I just did actually in my Bible reading plan. He was not a perfect man, but he did have a perfect faith. And also too, uh, Rahab, who is a prostitute who we learn about in the book of uh, Joshua. And he uses, uh, James uses her as an example of perfect faith, which again, is uh, is not a life of perfection, but a life of direction. She trusts God at his word, much like Abraham did. So let's look at this, a faith that works. So uh, verses 14 through 19, we see James give us examples of a counterfeit faith. And the first is this armchair philanthropist. When he says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and be filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? See also, faith by itself, if not, if it does not have works, is dead, right? This this idea of the armchair philanthropist, and, and James says that, hey, if you say you believe something and you're not living that out, right, if it, if it doesn't impact how you treat other people, then, then this faith that you claim is dead. It has no weight. It's counterfeit. It's like that $20 bill. It's just, it's a, co- it's a copy. It's not the real thing. And he uses this example of caring for somebody who is poor, which is, it's kind of, you see this theme over and over again about, uh, in the book of James about, about, about caring for the poor, caring for the orphan, caring for the widow, widow, caring for the outcast, the marginalized. And he's saying, if you don't do that, right? If you see, if somebody comes up to you, who is this? And you're just sitting there in your armchair and you say, person comes to you in need and you don't get up and have compassion on them and 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 seek to meet their need at whatever means possible then your faith is dead it's meaningless it has no life it has no has no um authenticity it has no weight and that's a great warning to us it's a great warning to us that james tells us that he that he says that that a faith in god lives itself out It, it 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 helps other people and, and, and what we see this rooted in is not some do-good philanthropism or some do-goodism to make us feel better about ourselves. But you see that in the incarnation of Jesus. James is talking about how God relates to us, impacts how we relate to other people. At the cross, you have the Son of God, God himself, leave the glories of heaven. He takes on flesh and he lives a sinless life and he hungers and he thirsts. And he and he he has a human experience, but yet is free of sin. And then he goes to the cross and dies on the cross, the sinner's death on our behalf. He who knew no sin became sin, so in him we might become the righteousness of God. And then he raises to new life. Well, you see, Jesus, who embodied perfect faith, worked that faith out. He met the needs of others who didn't deserve those needs. He had something to offer that he freely gives, which is salvation. And James is saying, if you believe in that kind of a God, and you don't live that way towards other people, you're missing it. You're missing it. You don't get it. Your faith is dead. If you don't see and have an awareness about how God emptied himself for the benefit of you, and you don't empty yourself as you can, as those needs arise, right? 
It's not saying that you become somebody who takes care of the world's problems. But this is a face-to-face need that somebody is confronted with. If you don't meet that face-to-face need, then, then your confession is not matching up with your character and your faith is dead. So what do we do with that? Like, that's heavy. So what if we live this way? What if we are the armchair philanthropist and James is saying to us that our faith is dead? Well, we do what we are called to do, repent and believe and say, God, I have a dead faith. Will your spirit make me alive? And God will do that. Anyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. And God delights to move us from being an armchair philanthropist to somebody who who genuinely loves others well. So that's the first example of the counterfeit faith and how to resolve a counterfeit faith. The second one is just about this demon. And uh, uh, let's see here. I lost my place. Uh, where am I? I am in verse 18. Right? Yes. So let's look at verse 18 as this moves, as James moves us into this, this uh, believing demon. Uh, all right. So verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Right? He's saying um, you cannot separate the two. You cannot be a fragmented person. You can't say I have faith. And then it works be separate. We, we are God is is defragmenting us. He is he is he is he is marrying, merging our beliefs and our behavior. He is merging our our character and our confession. He is growing us in how we work out this faith. In verse nineteen, you believe that God is one. You do well, right? You have faith, right? You believe that God is one. Great. Even the demons believe and they shudder. What in the world does that mean? Even the demons believe and they shudder. You know, demons um, are believed to be fallen angels, right? So they 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 know God. You look at the narrative uh, again in my Bible reading plan. I just read the book, the book of Matthew. Now I'm in Mark, doing like this Old Testament, New Testament thing. So uh, along with Genesis, I was reading Matthew, and you see Jesus walking through and doing his public ministry. And there's these demons. Like he just shows up to a place, and there are these demons who are like in people that then get cast into pigs. But they, he just he doesn't even say anything, but they they recognize him immediately as the Son of Man, right? They have a they have a confession of faith, which is crazy, but yet there's something different between the demons and us, those who would confess that Jesus is the Son of Man and have faith in him, right? What's the difference? Well, that's a good question. Is that the demons they can they can they can talk about who Jesus is, right? They can affirm truth. They 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 know the Bible answer. They know they can talk about who God is, and they can and they can they can communicate that Jesus is God and that He is the Son of Man, like we see in Matthew. But they don't orient their lives around it, right? They run from it. They hide from it. They they trick other people into 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 not believing it, right? The difference between demons and those who have authentic faith is is that that one is 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 affirmation on itself. That demons they believe they they affirm truth, but those who 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 take it a step further and have true saving faith that leads to obedience are those who have who have joyful obedience to God's words. That they don't just affirm God's word, but they they orient their lives around it. That they know that it's good and that 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 they love God and like Jesus says. When he says, if you love me, you keep my commands, we seek to live a life in response to God's love for us by loving him back. 
which is different than the belief than what the demons do. The demons believe and they shudder. The Christian believes and they have joy. That's the difference. So what if you're somebody who is not that different than those who would of just simply affirm all the Bible answers and who can give and have a counterfeit faith that is that is not necessarily an armchair philanthropist, but is, is purely intellectual and hides behind intellectualism so that you don't have to embrace the reality that you're a sinner in need of grace. Well, God calls you to humble yourself, to realize that your answers aren't what saves you. Your ability to affirm truth is not what saves you. But the emptying of yourself and giving yourself to Jesus is what saves you. This joyful reorientation around who God is and what he has done is what God requires and what he invites you to. So what do you do? How do you, how do you get that? You ask for it. You humble yourselves and you say, Lord, I've been trusting in my ability to, to be an intellectual person in, in, in and, and save myself through intellectualism. God, forgive me. Humble me. Let me trust in you. So here's what we see in verses 14 through um, 19. We see examples of counterfeit faith. The armchair philanthropist and the, uh, the, you know, the, the doctrinal demon is what, is what somebody, uh, you know, the language I'm borrowing from somebody else. And we see now, as we move on, examples of authentic faith. And again, which is crazy because these aren't the most, you know, uh, glorious people to live. Um, Authentic faith, oftentimes people associate authentic faith with perfectionism. And there is no such thing as that. Um, The perfect person, the only perfect person to live who had perfect faith was Jesus. And all of us sin and fall short of the glory of God. So we're not him. Uh, we see examples, you know, if you were to read the, the heroes of faith in, in uh, Hebrews 11, they all fail miserably. So, so, so what's the difference? Well, they're not defined and they don't look, they're not defined by their failures, but they're defined by their faith, their repentance, they, their, their ability to have an awareness of when they mess up and God intercedes for them. They respond to his grace with repentance. So let's look now at verses 20 as we see two examples of the authentic faith, first starting with Abraham. Do you want to be shown, uh, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? What's it mean they're justified by works? Well, he, he, is, he is saying what he has been saying, that faith without works is dead. So he, so he responded, his faith was evident, was made evident by how he lived his life and how when God told him, and tested him and told him to take his son to sacrifice him to the altar. He listened to the word of God. He trusted God and he knew that God would provide a substitutionary sacrifice for Isaac in his place. He trusted God and and his trust in God led to a listening and a reorientation around God's word and commands to him. He did what God told him to do. And again, he didn't do that all the time perfectly. But God brought him to a place where he did that. His faith was made evident. And the scripture was fulfilled, as it says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see, a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Our faith will lead to obedience. It's true. And that's what he is talking about there. True, authentic faith is an obedient faith. 
and it's not a begrudging obedience, but it rather it is a a a a, um, a joyful obedience, like I was mentioning earlier. Oh, the obedience of Abraham demonstrates the genuineness of his faith, and that's true for us as well. God speaks to us. He doesn't speak to us like he did to Abraham, right? He didn't come to him in a cloud and make a covenant with him. Um, God speaks to us through his word, by his spirit. And our obedience to his word authenticates, what was that word? Authenticates, there it is, our faith in him. And again, not by perfection, but a life of repentance, of this continual dance of, I feel God forgive me. Empower me to live for you. I feel God forgive me. Empower me to live for you. That there is no hiding, right? That we have this continual um, continual dance of repentance and a longing to live for him. I love this, this quote um, from an author who writes on James uh, 2, 14 through 26. Real faith is lived out faith. True faith is visible and active. It does things. We do not always live what we say we believe or even think we believe, but we do always believe what we live out. So the question is, are we demonstrating deeds that come from true faith, or are we in danger of hiding behind claims of faith that have no evidence from our lifestyle? Those are some really convicting questions. Real faith is lived out faith, right? Real faith is visible faith. Counterfeit faith is invisible faith. If we have faith in God, it changes us. We live it out in front of others. And that's what we see in the example of Abraham. He listened to God's word. And that's what, what we see, authentic faith. And secondly, we see through, uh, through Rahab, who was a prostitute, right? She was not the most uh, glorious person. But yet we see God, James, give an example of authentic faith and how she responds to spies that come to her house um, in the book of Joshua. So it says, uh, 24, you see a person that, that is, I already read that, but I'll read it again. You see that a person is justified um, by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith apart from works is dead. Again, you have this this really strange character, Rahab. Out of all out of all people that James could have named, why didn't he name David? Why didn't he name um, Ruth? Why did he name Rahab? That's really curious to me. Um, and it's because so many of us assume that people, um, you know, um, that to be a person of faith is to be more like a Pharisee is to be somebody who has this really, really moral and religious life and makes no mistakes. And um, that we have this, this, we believe this lie that God only accepts the, like the most morally pure and morally great people. But over and over again, you see Jesus associating himself and granting the gift of faith to people whom the world throw aside. You know, prostitutes, Today, just like prostitutes back then weren't the most um, um, trusted people in society, uh, they weren't. Uh, they didn't have the, the a dignifying uh, profession. Um, they were probably victims of tremendous trauma and abuse, which led them to um, work in the sex industry. Um, 
They weren't, yeah, they weren't people that, that people aspired to, but yet James uses her an example of, of tremendous faith. And here's why. is because what made her great wasn't herself, but the God whom she believed in, the God whom she trusted, and that she was an unbelieving Gentile, right? That's what, that's what she, she was referred to as, who helped the true God-fearers, right? She, 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 she went against her people to, to, because she trusted who God was and what he was doing. Uh, you know, uh, one commentator says this, Rahab could hardly be more different from Abraham. He was a Jewish man. She was a Gentile woman. He was rich. She was poor. He was a patriarch. She was a prostitute. Yet they both illustrate the same point. True faith is shown by actions. You know, Rahab wasn't justified by her, her perfect resume, her perfect moral resume, and either are we. We are justified by faith that we know who God is, what he has done for us. And we now reorient our lives around the glorious gospel and his good word to us that transforms us from the inside out. And that we can be people who have an authentic faith, even if we don't feel like we're that authentic. We can have an authentic faith. We can be loved by God, even if we're so much different than what the world or our churches or whoever may expect to be the religious person. Rahab gives us hope. And she reminds us that faith comes from hope. The difference between Rahab and Abraham, as, those, as opposed to those who have um, counterfeit faith, is their hope. They have a hope, a trust that, that changes the way that they live their life. They know something about who God is and what he has done and what he is doing, that they've reorient, reoriented their life in light of, that extends and that changes them and extends his grace to others. I worked uh, close with this. I worked for um, a ministry for a couple of years in St. Louis called First Light, and it was a it was, it was a tough ministry to work for. And um, what it did was it it was kind of like a um, a group counseling kind of ministry, uh, if you're familiar with what that may be, uh, with people who have intimacy disorders and uh, different types of because of that different types of um, addictions that come with that and. Uh, before, you know, what is an intimate disorder? Just to give you a quick overview. You know, God created us to, for healthy attachment. Uh, he created us for trust-based relationships. And oftentimes people at young ages, they experience um, people who don't, they don't trust and they're abused or they're um, forgotten or they just learn that they can't trust people. And then those, those kids grow up and they often grow up and they have uh, intimacy disorders. They have inabilities to, to attach to people and have healthy, long-standing relationships. And that's often replaced with things like addiction or self-harm behaviors and different things like that. And what I remember is that when I was in this group and, and hearing people's stories, and a lot of them were, were so tragic, um, and all of these people that were in this group counseling thing in this ministry that I worked for, they all grew up in Christian homes. And some of their, some of their um, um, you know, trauma that they'd experienced was in a Christian home by Christians, which is, which is utterly uh, sad and terrible. 
but some of them were, were done outside of the home. And when they went to uh, their father or their mother who and, and tried to, um, you know, uh, be, be, be helped, uh, they were often met with, um, you can't tell, you know, phrases like you can't tell anybody about this. Um, right. They were so afraid of people knowing about something that may happen and trauma that they experienced. Right. They they reinforced um, shame in the life of the one who experienced trauma. They 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 said, you can no longer uh, let this be known because of what it'll mean for me. And it was tragic. And I tell you that because um, people, Christians who know the grace of God and fail to extend that grace to others, people who say they have faith but do not work out that faith. People who have and live this um, fragmented life where there's a major gap between what they say and how they treat other people, it's, it's, it's tragic. It's destructive. It's terrifying. And it hurts people. I've sat with people who have experienced it. And some of you may know what that feels like. And James writes his word to us, not just for, for just practical wisdom on how to live a godly life, because I think he knows the damage of what it means when people have faith, but they don't live out their faith, where they have a confession and they talk about how great God is, but they don't show how great God is. That when they talk about how wonderful God's grace is, but they, but they, don't have they don't extend that grace to other people that talk about the forgiveness of God but yet are judgmental and they don't extend that forgiveness to others you know James is giving us a a warning to all of us that that to live a life with faith without works to live a counterfeit faith is a scary and destructive and and, and hard life and he is inviting us to live and walk with the Father differently, to be a people who are defragmented, whose, whose words match our deeds and our deeds match our words for the glory of God, but also for the good of ourselves and the good of our neighbors. So friends and students, if there's one thing that you get from this, know that to live a, fra- a defragmented life where you seek to live in light of your confession, where what you say and what you do are the same thing, is, a, is, is the most practical and tangible way for you to love your neighbor, to love yourself, and to glorify God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, help us to be a people who live this way. We cannot do it by ourselves. We need your spirit. Surround us with people that will hold us accountable to live lives that, that demonstrate your grace and your love and your beauty to those around us. Father, may we be, may you raise up a generation of students who take the call to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. To who take that command serious and you seek to do it with all that they do. In, in all that they have, with all that they are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.